So how is everybody this morning? Some are good. Some are really good. Some are, ah, not so much. I didn't, I, Mark, I didn't bring my sunglasses with me. I, I didn't know if that was a thing. You know, I got them back there, but I didn't wear them. So, so y'all doing great this morning. A beautiful day outside. I love this weather. All is well. All is well. Uh, my name is Barney. I'm one of the pastors and elders and whatever here. <laughs> so we're going to go through a lot of scripture today, a lot of scripture today. And, uh, so, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 26, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 17. And what I'd like to do at the outset is just read that to you. I think you need to hear the story really quickly or in its, in its entirety, and then we probably won't go so quickly as we talk about it. So uh, no more than an hour, I think, in Nathan, an hour and a half, maybe if, we, if it gets really well done here. So, All right, Genesis chapter 26, and they will be up on the screen. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech. King of, the, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Live for a time in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to your, to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and fulfilled his, his duty to me and kept my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, My wife, thinking, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, since she is beautiful. Now it came about, when he had been there for a long time, that, a, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down through a window and saw them, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Some of you have, if you're in the, in the King James, it, has, it says they were sporting. I'll leave that to you. Uh, then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she certainly is your wife. So how is it that you said that she is your sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I thought otherwise I might be killed on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech commanded all of the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife will certainly be put to death. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundred times as much, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very, very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. Now all of the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of his father Abraham, 
the Philistines stopped up by filling them with dirt. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. So Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of, of Gerar and settled there. Very interesting story. Uh, Genesis chapter 26 takes a, a very key shift in where it's been up to this point. So Nathan talked last week about Isaac and Rebekah and their twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Now I want to take just a few minutes, just a few minutes to get you reoriented, uh, reoriented to the storyline and tell you a little bit about our main, our main character today, who is Isaac. While Isaac's got a lot of name recognition, he, he's really overshadowed by the people that are around him. He, uh, there are 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, 50. And of that 50, 12 are devoted to Abraham, 10 are devoted to Jacob, 11 are devoted to Joseph, but only two, chapters 26 that we're in and chapter 27, uh, not so much even in 27. Two of them are devoted to Isaac. So by comparison, it would seem that there's very little that is memorable about Isaac. But God's blessing was clearly, clearly on this man. Isaac's role in the redemption story of God is a remarkable story. Now we know that God promised blessing would come to the whole world through Abraham. But, but this promise would not necessarily be fulfilled by Abraham personally. It, it, is, it, it would be fulfilled through his, through, through his offspring. Isaac was this promised child, and you know the story about Abraham and Sarah. Isaac was the one that was to come, that was to, to, to be, it, it, it wasn't anybody else, it was Isaac. So that's why the birth of Isaac was such a, an important event. God has said, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So the storyline was also taken up in the New Testament by Paul, who explains in Galatians 3.16 that the promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, Paul says, Scripture says, does not say, and to seeds, meaning many, but and to your seed, meaning one person, Paul says, and that is Christ. So while we're talking about seeds, ultimately, it's going to end in one seed. And then that's where the many will be blessed. So somewhere in the family line of Abraham, there's going to be a descendant who would bring blessing to the world. Galatians clearly says that that descendant is Jesus. This is the reason that the Old Testament uh, story focuses on the line of Abraham. God had promised that his blessing, his redemption for the world would come through a person that's born into his line. In each new generation, the question would be, who's going to continue this line? When Abraham died, the promise of this blessing was carried on by our friend Isaac, who we're going to focus on today. So why does all this matter to us? Why do these things happen thousands of years ago? None of us are Jews in here. I don't think any, anybody in here can claim a physical ancestry as a Jew. Uh, but I've got good news for you today. God in his great love and in his mercy, in his grace, has made a way so that you and I can actually 
take part in that blessing that was spoken to Abraham. Paul told this church in Galatia, this mixed up, messed up bunch of folks in Galatia, that if they belong to Christ, then they are Abraham's seed. And it, that makes them heirs, heirs to this promise. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you're black or white, if you, even if you live in Claremont County, you can be one of the heirs to the promise. <laughs> and I'm so glad of that. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, hope I don't have hecklers. <laughs> there, there, are, there are some scholars and commentators who speculate that this story is a retelling of Abraham's story. And that's probably because the similarities between Abraham and Isaac are many. And they're pretty precise. So as I read that story, you were probably thinking, well, I've heard that before. Yeah, it's a kind of what happened in Abraham's story. It's important to note, though, that the story of Abraham and the story of Isaac are about between 90 and 100 years apart. In both stories, there was a famine in the land, uh, and uh, Abraham and Sarah, in their story, went to Egypt. In our story today, Isaac and Rebekah were also headed to Egypt because of a famine, but God appeared to Isaac and said, whoop, don't go there. Stay in Gerar, in the land of the Philistines. So there is a, a reason that God told Isaac not to go to Egypt. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. In both Abraham's story and Isaac's story, they both went to Gerar. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, if you, you may recall, they traveled there after the destruction of, uh, of uh, Sodom. Isaac tells Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, that Rebekah is his sister. Abraham actually told that lie twice, and one of them to uh, another man who was called Abimelech. Now, speaking of Abimelech, the Abimelech that Isaac de uh, deals with in our story today is likely not the same man as the Abimelech that Abraham. The term Abimelech is more than likely a, it is a, uh, it, it's a, it's, it's a title. It's a kingly title that Philistines gave. So it would be like, it, it's, it's like Pharaoh. There were many Pharaohs. Caesar, there were many Caesars. It would be like someone saying, I spoke to the president. And then many years later saying, I spoke to the president. They're probably not the same guy. Or that's what many people hope, I think. <laughs> many years later someone else would say that same thing so back to the similarities in Abraham and Isaac's story and I, I don't I have a problem with either one of them but some of the words that Moses used here Moses is the author uh, are almost verbatim to Abraham's story now I I don't pretend to be a scholar I uh, but I can read so let's we'll start there so how can we be sure that this story just isn't some scribe who mistakenly copied the same thing from previous writings? Fortunately, in this case, in the very first verse, Moses clears that up for us right there. He says, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine 
the one before this, that had occurred in the days of Abraham. It's pretty easy for me to tell that it's talking about a different famine, a different story, a different person. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the, king of the Philistines. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Now, this is the first time that we have record of God speaking directly to Isaac. God had spoken a lot to Abraham. But God now tells Isaac that the promises, the blessings that he has sworn to his father are now being passed on through him, through, through Isaac. So this is a huge moment in uh, this man's life. Up to this point, God's relationship with his people had pretty much been defined by his relationship with Abraham. So the first thing that God says is, don't go to Egypt. So what is it about this thing that seems to be popular when there's a famine in that day? Everybody wanted to go to Egypt. So we're, we're going to talk about that because there's something there that I think that's important. It, it, the land of Canaan was very, very dry. The Gerar, where he was, by the way, you're going to find, find out that, that that land where he was was part of Canaan, what was going to be his. But it was a very dry and very hilly land, so it was prone to famine. If, if, if there was a drought, likelihood, if, if it lasted very long, you're going to have a famine. Now, don't forget, there were no modern methods of farming. They didn't have sprinkler, sprinkler systems. No way of getting water to their grain fields, nothing like that. So we don't understand famine in our world today. Now, there are places in the world that still have that. We don't get it. We live in a land of plenty uh, where watering systems, and we have uh, always help in, in time of drought. But in that time, in that world, famine was almost always certain death to a lot of people. Think about this. There's no water, so there's no food, no way to sustain life. So staying in a land of famine would have been, a, would have been pretty darn close to a death sentence. It would, it would likely mean that you're, if you live through it or you're going to see people die of a horrible death by lack of water or starvation, Egypt, on the other hand, had the advantage of these flat lowlands along the Nile, along the Nile River. People from surrounding areas would go to Egypt anytime there was a famine in the land, at hoping to survive. Now, when they would get to Egypt, there's a good chance that they would be made servants or be put into slavery. Uh, uh, by the Egyptians just to be able to get food and water there. This, this wasn't just working at the local Egyptian store. It, it, it wasn't that. Many times it was subjected to slavery, sexual slavery sometimes. The options in the time of famine were, were not great. So you'll see later on the story that e even Abraham's grandsons traveled to Egypt in a time of drought. Now, Nathan will be talking, or somebody will be talking about this sometime soon, and they encounter their estranged brother, Joseph, there. So, you know, I, when I think about this, I think about things like this that happen. 
God has blessed us. We, we live in a land of plenty here. Uh, we, but, if, but if Kroger gets low on bread and milk, like, we freak out, you know. It's like, uh, we, we, there's no doubt that, that, that God has blessed our land. But we should thank God every day for his goodness to us because not everybody has it this good. But God has told Isaac not to go down to Egypt. So where is it that God wants Isaac to go? So look at verse 3. He says, sojourn in this land. Now, now, now stop. Now Isaac has got to be thinking, this, this land I'm in here? You mean this land where there's a famine? Where there's no food, no water? This is where you want me to stay, God? There has to be a compelling reason for, for God to tell Isaac to stay in a place where the very things that he needs to, to live and survive are not certain. And the likelihood of death is pretty darn real. How could this land of promise be where there's a famine? Surely God doesn't want them to stay in a place where food and water are going to be running out soon, right? He says, stay in this land. Let's go on with verse 3. He says, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your, to your father Abraham. So God tells Isaac something that is, is compelling to stay. He said he's going to be with him. And not just be with him, God says he's going to bless him. So this land that he is in, I mentioned before, this land, Gerar, which is in the land of the Philistines, is part of Canaan. It's part of the promised blessing. It, it's the land that was promised to his father Abraham and all of his descendants for generations to come. This is part of the oath sworn by God to his people. So now the Lord comes to Isaac and says, stay here in this land, in this land, and then he repeats the promise to him. He says in verse 4, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So Isaac's offspring are going to be as the stars of the heaven. His offspring are going to possess all this land. Through Isaac's offspring, all the nations of the earth were to be blessed. In this land of famine, of all places, this is a, this is a defi defining moment for Isaac. Uh, the Lord wants him to understand that all the promises were for him as well. And he's not just an extension of Abraham. Look at, look at verse 5. Abraham played a huge role in all of this. He said, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. At the time that the Lord swore the oath to Abraham, it was because Abraham had trusted and believed God. The, 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 the trust and belief was real. It was real. Now, how do we know that it was real? How do you know if trust and belief would be real? It was followed up by action. He actually did something like what God told him to do. 
don't forget that the circumstances of this, of this blessing when it was first uh, spoken by God, do you, do you remember the story when this first came? Do you remember what was going on? Anybody remember? God had asked Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. Who was that son? It was Isaac. It was Isaac. Abraham followed the instructions of the Lord, and Dwayne talked about that here just a, just a few weeks back. One of the things I want you to, to know about that, and I think Dwayne actually mentioned it, Isaac was not a little baby, not a toddler. He was more than likely over the age of 18. So he was, he was a grown man when this, when this happened. I don't know what Isaac knew about all that. I, I don't know. But at some point, Isaac realizes that the blessings of God that came because of a, uh, circumstances that he was in with his dad and were, are going to be given to him, and they, but they were secured partially by his father's obedience to the Lord. Verse 6 says, so Isaac lived in Gerar. Isaac follows what God tells him to do and stays in Gerar, even though the risk of death is pretty darn good. So this is where things start to remind us of the shortcomings of Abraham. Isaac follows in his father's footsteps, but this time it's not in a good way. I, I, I am amazed by the fact that God had spoken to Isaac, had reiterated what he told him he was going to do, promises, blessing, land, then Isaac turns around and does this. Look at verse 7. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. This is, this is clearly a blatant lie, right? It's a lie. She's not his sister. Abraham told this same lie, and in his case, it resulted in Sarah actually being taken into, in, into Abimelech's house. Uh, did, did you ever wonder why, even when the, these people had the blessing of God, trusted him in the midst of a famine, and God comes through for them, he provides for, for them, then, then the fear of man just grips this man and, and says, that they seem to forget what God has done. That's not unusual. You know, it's really not unusual. God can do a lot of things uh, what, and bless us in a lot of different ways. And then something small will happen. Or fear can grip you and you can turn around and do something that you was know, like totally out of character. It's stories like this that, that make me wonder. And I'm just going to uh, tell you how I think, which might scare you a little bit, but it does me sometimes. It is stories like this that make me wonder why it is that God uses fallible humans to advance his cause on the earth. I, I can tell you I, I would not have chosen many of the people that God chooses for his purposes. King David commits adultery 
with a, another man's wife. Then he has her husband murdered to cover it up. In Genesis 38, Tamar plays a prostitute in order to sleep with Judah, her father-in-law, and Judah, she, she sleeps with him, thinking she was a harlot. Samson was a man who had pro- problems. He had so many relationship problems. I could tell you of many more that God used that I wouldn't have chosen. I, you see, I, I would have probably chosen those that are more worthy, those that were less of a sinner, those who had a better character. And, and then it came to me. <laughs> I wouldn't have chosen me either. I would not have chosen me either. You see, I think we have a, pro- a problem with comprehending the unbelievable, unimaginable, baffling mercy of God. I don't think we get it. I'd, I'd like to read you something out of Exodus. I don't, I don't know if I put that up there or not. I don't know if it's on the screen or not. But Moses had some of the same questions about the lack of faithfulness of God's people. He was on Mount Sinai. Now, let me set the story here for you. He was on Mount Sinai and he received the commandments that God had given to him. God had protected them and led them out of Egypt. Then the Lord tells Moses, while he's up there, that he needs to go back down the hill, go back down, he says, to your people. He didn't, God didn't call them his people. He called them Moses' people. To your people, because they had made a golden calf and were worshiping it. At that point, God intends to destroy them, all of them, to wipe them off the face of the earth. And listen to what Moses does. He asks God to consider that if he did that if he destroys them, that the Egyptians are just going to say, well, God let them out of Egypt just so he could kill them all. Exodus 32, and then Moses said this. This is, this is unbelievable to me. Exodus 32. Remember, and this is God, this is, this, this is Moses talking to God. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel Your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And all of this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Has some familiar sounding to it, doesn't it? So get what God did. Listen to what God did. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. I'm amazed by that. I'm amazed by that. I don't don't get that mercy. I don't understand that sometimes. I just don't get it. Moses continues to pray that God would fulfill all, all of the promises he had made, even though these people were obstinate sinners. They wouldn't stop. Do you see the unimaginable mercy of God? 
Do you see that God is so good? We can't fathom his grace. It was the mercy of God and the promises that he had made that kept him from literally wiping those people from the face of the earth. The promises that he had given that we've talked about now for weeks. Then God does something amazing. He lets Moses, he sees his back and his glory as he walks by. Then God instructs Moses to get some new tablets ready because God's going to write on them again. He tells Moses to meet him on the mountain in the morning. Now, remember, we're talking about the mercy of God, and I'm going to get back to the Isaac story. Exodus 34, and this is God speaking, starting at verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, Moses, and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their father for the sin of the, of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Paul told, told Titus, See, he said, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. It was his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Are you starting to get a glimpse of the mercy of God? Are you starting to see that it is beyond anything, certainly, that I can think of? Do you see that on our own merits? None of us, not single one of us, deserve to be an heir of God. Not a single one of us. God still uses fallible humans to further the cause of Christ because God made a promise thousands of years ago. Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. And you and I can stand in the mercy of God because of it. We are all, all unlikely heirs of God who on our own would never be chosen were it not for his mercy. Listen to what Paul told the church at Corinth. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, Paul says, our righteousness, holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are all unlikely heirs, all of us. 
So back to the story of Isaac. And I forgot to set my timer up here. So it's probably only going to be about another hour. So it came about in verse 8. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. I mentioned that the King James Version says uh, sporting. That's an interesting translation. The New King James says he was showing endearment to his wife. The idea is certainly of one of intimacy between a man and a wife. The lie that Isaac told was about to catch up with him. Abimelech was nobody's fool. It didn't take him long to see that he had been duped by Isaac. Uh, Abraham had done a very similar thing to another Abimelech, and the result was similar. Abimelech called Isaac and said, verse 9, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say that she's my sister? And Isaac says, I was scared. I was afraid I'd be killed because she's beautiful. I might die, he said, on account of her. He feared for his life. It's interesting to me that this king, well, listen to what he says. He said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. The question is, how did this Philistine king have the moral aptitude and the understanding to know how wrong it would have been for something like that to happen? For one of these Philistine men to have taken Rebecca as as his wife when she was already married. Keep in mind that it's, it's, it's only been less than 100 years that Abraham had done this very same thing. He had lied and said Sarah was his, was his sister, and it was only a partial lie because that was partially true. In that situation, the king had taken Sarah into his palace because he thought she wasn't married. That king Abimelech, God came to him in a dream and said, You're as good as dead because of the woman you have taken because she's married. Abimelech said to God, Lord, I was told that she was Abraham's sister. God said, yeah, I know that's true. That's what you were told. God said he had kept Abimelech from sinning. God told him to give her back or God would kill him and everybody that belonged to him. That was was Abraham's story. It's highly likely, because we're 90-some years out now, it's highly likely that this story was known to this new king, this new Abimelech, the Abimelech. Even though these kings were Philistines, they had definitely heard about the story and about how Yahweh protects his people. So Abimelech number two wasn't taking any chances. Look at verse, uh, verse number 11. So Abimelech charges all the people saying, and he gets drastic here. He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. I kind of think he heard about what God had said would happen to the first king Abimelech. The blessing and protection of the Lord was on Isaac and Rebekah. Even though Isaac had lied to save his own skin. Again, the mercy of God shines through to an unlikely heir. Verse 12, 
Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. Now you'll notice that in this land of famine, when God tells Isaac, you stay there, stay the course, stay in the land, he didn't just sit around and wait for the blessings of God to come falling out of the sky. Isaac sowed seed, he worked, and God blessed him. In, in, a, in a land of famine, he reaps a hundredfold. Isaac's prosperity is great. He's doing pretty darn well. In a time when others are just struggling to survive, Isaac is thriving. This didn't go unnoticed by the Philistines. They were, they were, they were envious of Isaac. Like, what's going on here? We are in this land of famine, and this guy's reaping a hundredfold. Verse 15. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with water, or earth rather, not water. Despite a famine, Isaac was blessed by God and prospered. In the midst of that blessing was once again some adversity. The Philistines were not only getting envious of Isaac, and all the, of his power, they were become, becoming concerned about that power. So it seems to me that even in the midst of blessing, there's this famine. And Isaac just does what God says, and he seems to weather the storm quite well. So well that, that, that the people of the land are saying, uh, we're not sure about this guy. So the Philistines were trying to slow down his progress. So they filled all these wells with dirt that Abraham had dug. Again, blessing often comes with adversity. Abimelech wasn't going to take any more chances, though. He's, he's not interested in compromise. He's not interested in working out a, a, a treaty. So he simply tells Isaac, you got to go. You got to leave. Verse 16, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. So Isaac let, uh, left, and he camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. I don't know why God does some of the things that he does. I don't understand why God takes people like me, like you, like Isaac, people who most of us would not have chosen. It changes my view when I look at it and think, now, God, I'm starting to get it because I would not have been one of those either. I wouldn't have been one of those that God had chosen if, if, if it were left to me. I am grateful, grateful 
for what God is doing in our world. I am grateful for what God is doing in this church, in our lives, in our hearts, amongst a bunch of people who are, my goodness, is there anyone here that doesn't have an issue or a problem? Anybody? Not a single one of us. Let's pray. Lord, we are we are grateful for your mercy. It is it is all together more than more than I can fathom. It is because of that mercy that we are heirs to this promise. Lord, you have allowed us to see your fulfillment of this blessing through your son. Lord, help us just to proclaim this message. Help us, Lord, to act like we are heirs of God, that we represent you. Lord, help us to be your people. Thank you, Lord, for your love. It is in Jesus' name that we pray.